0: Hey, This is Anthony Benning. You're listening to Fear the Sword Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome, everyone. My name is Trevor Magnati. This is the Thick Jack Frames Podcast, Fear the Swords NBA Draft Podcast doing something a little special today you're not just gonna hear me you're gonna hear our guest as well he writes for or or writes and records for red team scouting um they have a very good podcast and a very cool website what redteamscouting.com that um is one of my go-to draft resources um and he is a Cavs fan as well so I'm looking forward to kind of getting away from the prospect profiles tonight and get into talking a little bit about the philosophy of how we rank and how we rate prospects in this 2019 class. To help me do that today is Eustachio Raleigh. You can find him on Twitter at EVR1022. Eustachio, how are you doing today?
0: I'm doing good. How are you doing, Trevor?
1: Doing great. Um, so... Really one of the main reasons I wanted to have you on today is you guys do a great job particularly with your with your podcast about having really quality conversations about why you rank prospects the way that you do and what you value in scouting these different these different players when it comes to the draft. So I wanted to have you on and kind of kind of center ourselves as we really get into draft season on what we should be looking for for the Cleveland Cavaliers with their two picks the fifth pick and the 26th pick they've kind of got you know the best of both worlds in in the first round they've got an early pick that they can potentially use on you know a quote-unquote star talent Um, With possibility there, and then a late pick in the first round where you can really kind of find some really good value if you're looking in the right places. So um, we're going to talk about each of those picks today and talk a little bit about players that fit what we should be looking for with those picks. Um, What I want to start off with, though, is just talking a little bit about what you guys do at Red Team Scouting. You guys do things a little bit differently. Um, you have a very complex rating system for how you guys look at the different skills that these prospects have. Can you go into a little bit of how you guys rate um, prospects in these in these different skill areas and kind of how you weight different areas against each other? You've got five main... Um, Areas um, covering everything from offensive, um, offensive skills to intelligence um, to raw athletic tools. How do you how do you go about coming up with the ratings that you guys have up on your site for each of these different prospects?
0: So with the rating system this year, it was sort of a little bit of an experiment uh, for us. We before the season we broke down all sorts of areas that we think. Um, uh, are ways that a player can provide value in the game. And we came up with uh, these broad categories with on-ball offense, off-ball offense, defense, athletic tools, uh, basketball IQ, and then um, some hustle areas as well. And then within those, we broke it down further, like on-ball has ball handling, passing, uh, pull-up shooting, uh, driving, finishing in the post. Um, and so in each of these areas, we uh, had at least three different people grade a player on a one to 10 scale with one being replacement level 10 equals like best ever. And then uh, five is NBA average. And so um, doing that, we came up with these grades for each player and it, it's been a little bit of a work in progress, but it kind of offers a unique angle of deconstructing a player's game.
1: Yeah. I think the the main thing that I've really enjoyed is, is kind of getting to know kind of how how you value like prospect level talent in each of these areas compared to like an NBA average. So like you look at a guy like um, Cam Reddish and you see, you know, a lot of fives and sixes in his um, stronger skills and then kind of some twos and threes a little bit later, and then you go to a player like Zion Williamson, and you see start seeing more of like the sevens, eight. So you got what you guys are saying basically. There is is that like, for instance, you look at you look at Zion's athleticism. You're saying that he's well above average for your typical even NBA player. Whereas a guy like maybe Nasir Whittle, who ha- has a little bit lower ratings, is is more kind of along the lines of. You know your t- your typical maybe like end of bench guy um, in some of the areas that he's stronger with. Is that is that kind of how I'm reading that?
0: Yeah, that's accurate. Okay. Yeah, so like for Zion, he has a ten in leaping. So basically, we think from the moment he steps on an NBA court, he will be one of the top two or three uh, explosive leapers in the NBA. Um, and then like in his uh, Speed. We have him as an eight point two, and so that would be like still in the very good range, like maybe uh, top thirty or top forty players in speed, um, but not quite at the very top. Um, so the that gives you the gist of it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just a really valuable way to look at kind of multiple angles and, and kind of really see how the marriages of these different skills um, can work together. Because you start to see guys like, you know, maybe i uh, um maybe again, going back to Reddish, because he's a guy I, I looked at today, um, you, su- you start to see areas where, you know, his raw talent level in terms of his ability to execute skills is pretty high, but then you look at his awareness and intelligence and it's a little bit lower and then you can start to have the conversation of, well, how functional is his is his actual is that actual skill if he doesn't have the intelligence to apply it when you're looking at a guy like him versus a guy like maybe a grant williams who we no is a little bit more of a high IQ guy um, how do you, How does that influence where you're ranking these guys on your board um, how, how do you factor in kind of that intelligence factor because I think that's one of the big disconnects that we're seeing with this class um, you have a subsection of people who are really di- diving in on valuing that intelligence and that ability to process the game and you have a group that's also at the same time kind of discounting that and more leaning on skills how do you value that intelligence factor into the rest of your evaluation
0: yeah i I think you start with the athleticism and the skills and that provides the base of what a player is capable of but the intelligence is going to help you uh, see how well they're going to use and weaponize those those skills those tools um so like a player like Andrew Wiggins in the NBA has all the tools in the world, but he doesn't have the basketball IQ to actually make an impact with those skills. And on the other hand, um, if you take a player like say, Joe Harris, who is, we'll say athletically challenged, but he's a smart player. He came up through Virginia, learned to play, um, playing hard on every possession and to run off screens. And, um, he, it allows him to make an impact that's greater than he should make with the skill base that he has. So that's sort of the way I look at it. The skills and the tools are the foundation, but then the intelligence helps you to see how much they can get out of that foundation.
1: I like that. That's a, that's a great way to, to put what, we're we're kind of looking for and that kind of informs where we're going to go i think with the rest of this conversation um shifting towards kind of where what we look for in kind of building through the draft um you know this is one of our big you know one of the big goals of the draft is team building. It's a, it's one of the primary ways that you can make your team better in the NBA. Um, when you have an early draft pick like the Cavs do, what types of players are you looking to build with if you have a pick that's kind of in the Cavs range where... The guys who are the real franchise changers are probably off the board Um, in this class, it's Zion Williamson, so kind of everybody after that. A class like last year, you're looking maybe more in the 6-7-8 spot Um, once, you know, Aiton and Bagley and and Luka Doncic are gone, Um, but... What are you looking for when you're in this type of position where you're probably not going to get a big time franchise changer, but you can still get maybe potentially a quality impact player? What are you valuing with a top pick?
0: Yeah, so I I think it starts with uh, deciding on your opinion of this specific draft class. Um, Because like you said last year, there was a little bit more depth for those uh, home run shots. Like Trey Young was the fifth pick last year. And obviously he's becoming uh, the centerpiece of the Atlanta rebuild. So um, sometimes there are guys like that at the fifth pick. But in this draft class, I don't quite see that star level talent in any of the players that should be available at number five. So... Admitting that about the class, I think you have to reevaluate a little bit. And my inclination with that in early draft pick where you don't think you can find someone who can be the guy is to uh, go for someone that's actually going to be a high floor player, a complementary role player that will help amplify a star that you try to acquire in the future. It's sort of like in the NFL, if you were to draft uh, offensive line or tight ends before you get your quarterback. Um, there's guys that are going to help that quarterback succeed later on, um, creating that environment. And so it's the same concept. You want to create an environment where a star can be successful down the road. And so those are the type of players I'm going to look for if I don't think anyone on the board can be that superstar down the road.
1: And anybody that's followed along with my thoughts on this podcast can – know that I agree with that. That's kind of where I put my value as well, Um, valuing guys like Jarrett Culver and DeAndre Hunter over maybe the more high-swinging ceiling guys like R.J. Barrett and Darius Garland. Um, I definitely agree with that point that you, I think in this draft more than others, are looking for maybe a guy who at least is going to be a competent member of your rotation Regardless of what that rotation looks like three years from now, um, rather than trying to swing for a specific building block, um, so so to speak, um, where we kind of think of the traditional like franchise changer um, guy or like core piece. Uh, maybe you're not looking for the guy who is like the guy that you're building your scheme around but is a guy who's going to contribute to whatever scheme um, you're looking to build how about a pick like the 26th pick um, what would you be looking for at that level because that's a, that's a really challenging pick for a lot of teams it seems like it's really hard to find Guys who can provide value at that point, if because if they were sure things, they would be going earlier. But teams routinely do it every year. So what are you what are you looking for with that spot?
0: Usually around that range is where I'm more willing to start taking risks on players that aren't maybe complete players, but have a standout skill that uh, could help them carve out a career at the NBA level. Actually, last year's 26th pick was a good example of that in Landry Shammett and his ability to shoot off movement. It allowed him to make an impact even in year one, even though there are some weaknesses in his game, but that strong point allows him to carve out uh, a niche in the NBA. So um, I'm willing to take more risks at that point in the draft because the opportunity cost is just a lot lower. If you uh, lose the asset, it's not as big of a deal. Um, so uh, I'll swing for players there and reach for someone that I think has a chance to become something more than what the average for that spot is. Because usually between 21 and 30, you're looking at maybe a 25% success rate at hitting on a rotation player. So I think... It's a lot of te- a lot of times we hear talk about playing it safe in that range, but I think when we talk about playing it safe in that range, what we're really talking about is a player who's maybe a complete player, but doesn't quite have the talent level to cut it in the NBA. And those players end up in other leagues around the world. And so I think you have to find someone that has a clear NBA skill, and then try to maximize that as you develop them. Up
1: yeah I think that I think the traditional thought of who you should be taking at this stage is like Jalen Brunson for the Mavericks, a type of guy that you, you know is gonna be able to provide like a baseline level of play but is never really going to have. Any real upside of being like an impact player on a quality team when what we should maybe be going for is a guy like Pascal Siakam um, for the Raptors, who was picked right around that range and obviously, you know, probably wouldn't have been what he is today in a lot of different contexts, but lands on the Raptors in a good development spot and actually turns out to be a pretty good player there. Um, so, shifting the focus now to the Cavs, the Cavs are in a little bit of an interesting spot because they've got some high. Money contracts on the books. They've already got one player in Colin Sexton, who's a young guy that they're going to build around. Um, so that marriage is kind of creating a little bit of an awkward fit because you're not really going all in rebuild, but also you don't, you definitely don't have the talent level to actually seriously think about competing. Um, when you look at this Cavs roster and you look at you know some areas that they could really fill to kind of take that next step in in team building. What would you be trying to target in this draft in terms of just roles that need to be filled for this team to look good? So
0: they sort of have the logjam with uh, lots of big men on the roster. You have TT, Nance, Love, Henson, Zizek, and then you also have a bunch of uh, nominal point guards in Sexton, Knight, and Clarkson. Uh, None of them are like passers from the point guard position, but they... (laughs) I mean, that's what they're going to defend anyway. So um, the opening to me is uh, wings, particularly wings that can offer some level of shot creation. And also the defense was just terrible last year. So anything that can be done to help improve that, it would help improve my sanity a little bit next year. I agree. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, creation, defense from the wing, that's that's space short list, basically.
1: Yeah. It, it it's not a it's not a huge uh, not a huge list, but it's also the two hardest things to be able to obtain. Um I I think I think yeah. in the league. Um these are two things that are premium. How much do you value shooting for this team? Where do you think they're at in terms of like floor spacing?
0: I think I mean you can never have too much floor spacing. So it's always a good idea to add spacers if you can. Um, I don't know that it's a glaring need necessarily. Sexton did surprisingly well in that respect in his uh, rookie year. Kevin Love offers spacing from the power forward spot. Um, there's there's probably not a lot, a lot else as far as dangerous shooters on the roster. Jetty was okay. Um, Deli I don't think anybody's scared of. Um, but... I don't know that it's a glaring need either, at least in the starting lineup. Um, Off the bench becomes more pronounced in my opinion. But um, yeah, you always want shooters though.
1: Yeah, I so that that's something to kind of keep in mind and also we'll talk about probably a little bit later. Um this draft not exactly the best in terms of, you know, those guys who are like the pure shooter archetype. So, um not a ton of options there. Um also so that this may be something that needs to be filled in maybe free agency. Um so Kind of shift, shifting focus now to the actual draft, to the Cavs' actual pick at five. Um, I wanted to kind of compare notes with you talking about kind of where the Cavs should be looking in terms of realistic picks that could provide a lot of value. Um, both of us put together a um top or a top prospect list i had you fill out your top five six seven guys um for the fifth pick i have my big board which you can find on fear the sword um and we'll just kind of compare notes here um so i had culver one hunter two clark three um Kobe White, 4, Bull Bull, 5, and then Reddish, 6. You had Culver, 1, Clark, 2, Hunter, 3, White, 4, Grant Williams, 5, and then Darius Garland and Bull Bull after. Um, so let's talk about, I think, maybe the big one that might surprise some people is both of us having Bull, Bull at, at towards the top of our list, um, a guy who's kind of all over the place in terms of kind of where he's valued in this draft for pretty obvious reasons, what strikes you about his potential fit with this team that puts him so high for you?
0: He's such a weird and unique player, but I think for this team specifically, the upside he has, both as a shot blocker and as a floor spacer on offense, a player that could allow Kevin Love to become more of that inside-outside threat that he used to be, rather than mostly an outside threat that he was during uh, the LeBron return era. Um, I think that upside is maybe worth betting on for the Cavs. It's, um, he has a risk. Uh, there's no glossing over that. But there's also probably never been any player quite like him in league history. So whenever that's the case, you have a chance perhaps to find something that's historically unique. And I mean... Shooting rim protectors are the archetype that people have been chasing after for years in the league because of how it allows five out lineups and uh, pulls opposing bigs out of the paint. So it allows you to build a team in a more creative way.
1: Yeah, I I agree with that. Do you agree with me that he maybe works best as like playing as a functionally a three on offense um, where you're not where you're not necessarily relying on him like setting screens and you're more having him kind of spot up on the wing and maybe attack closeouts and and do those tight little kind of one two pull up dribble shots kind of off curls and stuff like that?
0: Yeah, I mean, him trying to set screens in the NBA, would that would be quite something to watch with that center of gravity that's probably right around at my head level. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I think he's a wing on offense. You, you use him to space the floor above the break. It's sort of like a Brooke Lopez for Milwaukee right now. And um, he can attack closeouts. And just the, the ability to get those above-the-break threes from a height that's basically uncontestable at least in any meaningful way um if he can make those at say a 37 to 40 percent clip that's well above league average from that spot and it opens up so much for the offense but yeah you're using him as a wing in essence on offense
1: yeah i i think that you know the the possibility with his injury that he could be available at 26 is is just that is the optimal outcome. And when I did my board, you know, I, I kind of put the caveat that they you know, I'm ranking for either of the Cavs spots, and this is just kind of asset acquisition um ranking. And he was the reason that I put that in there, because I mean he would be a guy that I would consider at five, and they could potentially get him at twenty-six, and that could be really interesting. Um, let's talk a little bit about Brandon Clark. Um, he's a guy who you know on the surface of things has a very clunky fit with the way that the roster is currently constructed because he's probably going to be best as an NBA 5. Um what draws you to Brandon Clark on this team and what do you see his avenue to kind of a, a to a starting spot or a rotation spot being with kind of moves they can make from there?
0: Yeah, he's such an interesting player. And now like the archetype that you said, like you mentioned it on your board there, that he can be a five-on offense and a four-on defense. And now Cavs fans may have some bad memories of when Tristan, when he was younger, was like that, and it was a difficult to build, uh, to find the right big man to pair with him. But with Kevin Love already on the roster and being a guy that can uh, defend post players and clean the glass on defense, space the four on offense, there's a nice ready-made fit for Brandon Clark uh, to be – in a a role that fits him on both ends of the court right from the get-go um and i think like clark is an older prospect but if you look at his game and like think about what upside indicators are in general i think clark has everything but youth he has unbelievable athleticism he uh, has a great IQ, anticipation, timing on the defensive end, and um, plays with a high motor on both ends of the court. So um, I think right now, he his shot blocking, his finishing, you know you're going to get those, and he's going to make an impact in those ways. But he also has the tools to become more than he is right now. If he improves even slightly in his ball handling, he could become a really powerful face-up threat against opposing fours, Um, maybe even some isolation here or there. He has great touch around the rim, so there's a chance that he could extend that to short corner jumper or even a corner three. Um, But even as is right now, I think he provides a lot of value. But we can't just look at him as a low upside prospect because he's old, it just doesn't add up with the rest of the uh, skill set.
1: Yeah, I definitely think you're right. I think that his shooting transformation really kind of opens up a higher level than I think he's getting credit for in terms of upside. But I think that that kind of creates an interesting question of, like, how likely is he to reach his upside on this specific team? Um, is he a guy where if you are drafting him, you know, you maybe kind of try to run out the clock on Tristan and Larry Nance and kind of let him sit and develop behind those two guys and maybe get kind of spot minutes? Or do you immediately try to look to move to one of those guys if you're if you're taking Clark at five?
0: I might look to try to move Tristan right away. Um, I believe he's expiring next year, and um, there are some redundancies there with their skill sets. But at the same time, you don't want to rush his development because what he really needs to be successful is a guard that knows how to pass, and that's something the Cavs do not have on the roster right now. So... I I think you want to shield him from starting lineups at least until the Cavs can acquire somebody who can set him up on a regular basis. Um, So I would try to blend the two approaches, but I would would see maybe shop Tristan at the deadline, maybe not during the summer, but um, have him operate as a fourth or third big for the first couple years until you build up the roster around him.
1: I agree with that, and I think that's one of that presents one of the things that I harp on on here a lot is that sealing in a vacuum is not sealing functionally, and I think that the Cavs present a really tough situation just because of the way that the contracts are, the way that the roster is currently set up, and their ability to actually acquire the talent that they need to make an optimal situation for Clark maybe puts him a little bit below... Um, Hunter and and Culver in terms of the likelihood that he's going to reach his ceiling. So that's kind of why I had him a little bit lower. Um, Let's talk about Culver. Um, He's kind of the hot name, um, particularly on Cavs Twitter. Um, I like to think I have had a decent part in creating that. So let's get that from someone else um, just to back me up. So what draws you to Culver as a fit for the Cavs?
0: I mean, I think he has everything the Cavs need. I think he's the perfect guy to um, add a level of shot creation from the wing, help shore up the defense. Um, It gives us a longer window um, or a longer leash on letting Cowan Sexton develop in that primary, uh, in that point guard role. He's not really a facilitator there, but with Culver playing next to him, he doesn't necessarily have to be a high-level passer as much. And, um, so I think Culver just, he does it all in my opinion. He's, he had a really tough, um, situation at Texas tech. Like their offense was not, um, it was messy in the half court.
1: Yeah. He he was getting triple teamed for much of, much of conference play.
0: Yeah. But he made the best of it.
1: Mm -hmm. And like,
0: he, he took a 9% usage jump from his freshman year to his sophomore year. He handled the load on offense, and he maintained a reasonable efficiency level at 54 true shooting. That's not outstanding, but it's good considering the circumstances. And he was creating most of the shots for his teammates. Uh, he led an assist rate by like 6%. Um, he was making impact plays on defense. Like, his ability to attack off the dribble, I think it's very underrated. If you watch that championship game closely against Hunter, it's true that he didn't have a good game statistically, but over the course of the game, he sort of got a feel for what Hunter was and was able to get to his spots better as the game progressed. And that's difficult to do against Hunter, who's one of the best point of attack defenders in all of college basketball, who has a size edge on him in height and wingspan and uh, weight and strength. And he was able to manipulate him to some degree as the game progressed. So um, even though it doesn't always show up in the numbers, there's a very there's sort of this advanced tactical understanding that he has in those one on one situations that provides him with an upside that I think he doesn't always get credit for from the consensus.
1: Yeah. I I definitely agree with you on that. That's like the most underrated part of his game is just his ability to kind of almost machine worn a, a team system and a team's tendencies as the game goes on um, is really impressive. Speaking of DeAndre Hunter, he's a guy that, you know, is is up in the conversation for the Cavs as well. Gets compared pretty favorably to Culver a lot. You know, they play the same, you know, they look to play the same position. They kind of had similar tendencies at, at the college level. Um, what puts Culver over Hunter for you?
0: In regards to the Cavs specifically, um, it's that shot creation. I think Hunter can be a very good offensive player, but he's definitely in the role player category for me on that end. I think he'll be an 18 to 20% usage guy that can space the floor, attack a closeout, handle an ISO or a post up here and there, uh, maybe run an occasional secondary pick and roll. But he's not really going to be a guy that you run your offense through, but rather a guy that uh, attacks, warps that the primary guy creates. And so on the other hand, Culver can be that guy that takes on more of that primary creation burden. And that's what separates them for me on the offensive end of the floor. And what Culver brings is just more of a need for the Cavs right now.
1: Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, do you agree with kind of the notion that Hunter's offensive ceiling is, isn't is as high as, as what Culver could potentially bring um, just because of the ball handling?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, Culver, he has some potential to be special as a ball handler, not just, like, we talked about the tactics earlier, and he also has, like, a really great second and third step to maintain separation once he creates it. Um, Hunter, he can drive a little bit, he can attack a little bit, but he's more of a straight-line guy. Um, he doesn't have a lot of shake. He's kind of stiff a little bit. He's still very effective, even with his sort of mechanical style, because he's very technically sound, but he's not going to improvise or create something out of nothing for a team that, in a way that Culver can. The, he's still going to be a very useful offensive piece for a team hunter, because mm-hmm. he also has some extra size uh, compared to Culver. So you can play him at the three, you can play him at the four and smaller lineups, which opens up some more options, but he's definitely more of a third option on offense, whereas Culver can be sort of a number two or a number one B perhaps option on offense.
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree with that. Um, You know, Connor, while I think he has, the talent to be a very good third option on offense. That's that's kind of where he is going to peak out. He's he's just not a good enough ball handler and, and does not have the pull up mechanics that you know D- Culver has demonstrated a little bit. Um, so let's shift away a little bit from the top pick and get a little bit more granular um, into the weeds of the twenty six pick. Um, this is just going to be kind of just a little bit rapid fire. Let's talk about just all of the options here so we talked about hitting home run swings um and immediately the names that jump out to me out of your list that you sent me of potential targets which was chumo keiki of auburn Nikhil alexander walker of virginia tech taylon horton tucker davin devon Dotson of kansas ty jerome of virginia and cam johnson of unc um Devon Dotson and Ty Jerome, I think, can be kind of tied in together here because both of those guys are kind of like they look like utility point guards who don't have a lot of upside. Um, given what we've talked about with that twenty-six pick, uh, what's the draw of Jerome and Dotson for this team?
0: So Jerome, he um, is a guy that he, he's six-five, so he's sort of he's on the light side. I would call him a combo guard. He brings a level of ball handling and passing to the table, but he's a strong defender. He's Virginia used a ton of off-screen actions in their offense. He's a really good off-screen shooter and shows good technique in that regard, which would add an element that the Cavs currently just don't have on the roster that they haven't had since Corver was traded. Um, And I think he could – like, it, suppose Culver was the first pick. Jerome would be a guy that would fit really nicely next to him in some secondary lineups, um, as adding a little ball handling, but also knowing how to play off of Culver. And then Dotson, um, sort of similar in some of those respects, really good defensive player at the point of attack, really accurate shooter. Um, I think Dotson has the athleticism to perhaps have some upside beyond what Ty Jerome has. Um, his game isn't necessarily that developed on ball, but the tools are there that if he um, can improve his skill level a little bit, he actually has some starter potential in my opinion. I think he could be one of the top three or four point guards in this class if he hits. Um, But the, the thing I really like about Dotson is that even if he doesn't hit in that regard, He's still going to be a useful player because of that defense, that three-point shooting, and just some secondary ball handling and passing that he can bring to the table next to a wing creator.
1: Yeah, being being one of the quickest players in the class and also being a very, very good off-ball defender in particular makes him yeah. very palatable as, as like a you know a backcourt partner for what the Cavs have, I think, because you get a guy that can play make a little bit, you get a guy that can defend Choose and and you know can really um, you know take point of attack assignments away from Colin Sexton and be useful off ball. It's it's a really good uh, setup. I would really like the defensive fit of uh, both of these guys. Um, I know that you are more of a Ty Jerome guy. Um, I personally am probably more of a uh, Dotson guy. Which one do you think has the better fit, just for what the Cavs, what the Cavs are right now? And who would be kind of like outside of Culver? Who would be like an ideal first pick to pair with one of these two guys?
0: I've I've actually come around on Dotson, and I have it higher than Ty Jerome right now. Really, you know? but um, yeah,
1: Imp- interesting. Um,
0: it, just quick tangent on that, like um. The f- first game of the year that I watched, the Kansas-Michigan State game there, and I was keying in on Cassius Winston, and I was like, man, he's just not that good. He's getting bottled up by this freshman point guard. He Maybe he's not as good as I thought. And then, like, months later, I was thinking about that, and I'm like, Oh, Dotson's just actually really good on defense. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Yeah, the first the first Dotson game I really paid attention to was the Stanford game, and he, you know, a couple possessions just bodied Kaziak Powell in the post, and that was that was really impressive. It's not every day you see a guy as small as him do that, and that speaks to the versatility of what I think he can bring on the defensive end. Um, so, go ahead, go ahead now with um with kind of who your pairing would be.
0: So for a pairing, I actually I kind of like the Dotson and Hunter pairing just because that would help bring an identity to the Cavs defense that it's that it just completely lacked last year. There was
1: you you it, mean it was com- so bad. you mean competence?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like. Oh my goodness, it was so hard last year to watch. But like, you need some guys that are going to help set the tone, and taking those two in this draft class would really change the culture of the Cleveland defense. Um, it, Because they're going to go out there And get after every single night um, As far as Ty Jerome um, He might be a really good fit with Clark actually He's a good passer um, Can throw an entry pass or a lob And uh, he's going to provide that off-ball distraction with, with his off-screen shooting That will help open things up for Clark to cut to the rim And uh, just shake loose of his defender um, so I think that would be a really good pairing as well.
1: Yeah, I like it. Um, let's talk a little bit n- now more about the the wings that you have here. Um, Cam Johnson, probably the best shooter in the class from from like a true wing position, um, and and then uh, Okeke as well. I think I think those are kind of the two realistic options. I th- I would probably see Alexander Walker and Horton Tucker getting picked far before the Cavs are picking at 26. But, um, talk to me a little bit about Okeke in particular. Um, what, what draws him to you? And then also, what do you think of potentially having to work with his ACL injury and, and the investment that that would take in terms of valuing him at this pick?
0: Yeah, that's the catch 22 because he is sitting out for most of the rookie season. Um, but at the same time, I think the Cavs aren't in a position where they have to rush necessarily, and so they could be patient with a guy like that who um, I think if he didn't get hurt and Auburn continued to make that run with him on the court, his draft stock might have soared a little bit. He probably might even be out of range for the Cavs if that trajectory continued, but he's just a fantastic defensive player. Um, really makes an impact on that hand, on that, um, and he has some of the best hands I've seen in this college class. Uh, just uh, swiping the ball away, and um, he blocks a lot of shots as well. Um, for me, I think he he's sort of a three and a half where he can play either the small forward or power forward position. But I'd probably shade towards playing him. I, I think his ideal role is at the four, um, maybe in a small lineup with Kevin Love. But because of the Cavs' roster situation, he'd probably play more at the three initially. Um, on the offense, he's more of just a floor-spacing, close out attacking player. He can cut to the rim and finish athletically, but he's not going to create shots really for himself. He's just going to play off of other guys and um, make the most of the opportunities he happens to get. He's more of an opportunistic player on that end of the court, but on the defensive end, he's a real playmaker.
1: Yeah. Speaking of opportunistic guys, um the the guy that you know has kind of naturally been the link at 26 because his coach is now the coach of the Cavs is um Iggy Brasdikas, um, the Lithuanian slash Canadian uh freshman wing who really surprised some people this year. Um, he, he's one of the most opportunistic kind of or off ball scorers in, in this class. Um, do you see him having any sort of upside, um, particularly on this team where you know the coaching continui- continuity would? Would be a plus. Um, do you, what do you see kind of his trajectory being if he is put onto this roster?
0: Yeah, that's an interesting one. I have kind of already accepted that that's probably going to happen because of the connection. It just makes too much sense. Mm-hmm. And, it, like, I mean, small forward is obviously a need on this roster, too. So um, I don't necessarily think he has all that much upside, but the understanding of the system it will help him get in the his foot in the door and have that smooth transition to the next level I think he can be um, just a good rotation wing that helps space the floor and open things up without getting in the way on either end of the court he can play good team defense he can space the floor but he's not going to define your team on either end of the court
1: yeah, I think, I think that's definitely the case. I, I particularly like him as, as a bench guy. Um, I think that's where his role is going to be in the NBA is like you, you have him eight to ten minutes as like your secondary guy on a bench unit. And, and that's where I think he's going to be most valuable. And then, you know, you rely on his team defense to survive. Um couple more guys here before, before we get out of here. Um, one, he, he, the player that I'm kind of most married to at this spot, because I, I think he would potentially be that like home run swing type, type of guy, uh, Terrence Davis of Ole Miss. Um, what do you think of him as, as a potential fit with this team and, and a prospect in general?
0: I really like him actually. He's been climbing up my board. I, I, still working on my final board but he'll probably be in the 25 to 30 range for me and so that's right in the wheelhouse for this pick um he's really a good athlete and apparently has gigantic hands according to the combine measurements mm-hmm. and um, he, he makes um impact plays defensively and i, I think he's useful offensively i'm not super high on his offensive game necessarily, but I think he is a guy that can fill a role. And um, so I think like, you're not really going to find your primary creator at 26 in all likelihood. So it, you're just really looking for a guy that can stay on the court, that can shoot space, the floor attack, a closeout, uh, just not get in the way too much and be useful, make contributions. So I think he can do that on the offensive end of the court, and I think he can, uh, on defense, help build that identity like we were talking about earlier. So he, he would be a good option here. I, I didn't think of him when we were talking about it, but I, I like the fit.
1: Yeah, I, I think that he... Handling for like these tertiary or ancillary guys on your roster is is such a valuable skill and he definitely projects as the type of guy that's gonna be able to at least be able to attack closeouts outside of just attacking in a straight line. And I I loved his defensive communication when I saw him at Portsmouth. Yeah. Um him and Tukey Brown just calling out everything that the opposing team was running was really, really exciting, and I, I really enjoyed watching that. And also I think he He's a guy that can uh, bring a little bit of fire to this team. I mean, I don't know if you got the same impression in the game in the games you got to see him in at Portsmouth, but at, at the champion or at the third place game when I was there, he was just talking constantly, um, trash to other, to other players, uh, to the coaches of the opposing team at one point to referees. Um, and, and that's an interesting dynamic to throw in because like the Cavs kind of have a roster full of like kind of nice guys at this point. Um, yeah. Headlined by, you know, Kevin Love and obviously Jetty, um, our favorite son. Um, so getting kind of like that bad boy vibe might be something that's valuable.
0: Yeah, I I think that makes a lot of sense. I I didn't get to see that side of him really at Portsmouth. I only saw the first game, and he was still settling in, getting to know his teammates. But, um, yeah, I mean, you definitely saw that side of him, like on the film in Mississippi. He um, definitely gets after it and plays with an intensity and um, (laughs) – Having that edge is so important, particularly on the defensive end of the court, because that's how you get everybody engaged as a team. That uh, The communication is so important. It's such an underrated defensive skill, um, getting everybody on the same page and getting everybody locked in on that session. And so uh, that's definitely an attribute that could uh, help give this team a boost in building their culture.
1: Yeah. Um, last question on the twenty-sixth pick. Um, there's a lot of guys in the international class that I think are like perfect for this range. Um, Jovel Zussman of Maccabi Tel Aviv, Davidas Servitus of Waituvos Reitis, I think are the two that jump off the page. Lukas Simonic also kind of getting talk in this range. Um, what do you think of like the utility of draft and stash? for this pick I, I know it's not something that happens often on um, most two recent examples Nikola Malutinov, um, for the Spurs who is become an all euroleague type player for um, Olympiakos and might be coming over this summer and then Anze Spachekniks who has definitely not worked out for the Sixers so far um, what do you think of that type of move you know looking at one of those guys and potentially you know maybe weaving them over in Europe for a year to develop
0: I'm not opposed to that necessarily, but I probably would be more interested in that if they say traded down to 33 and 34 with Philadelphia, um, and stashed one of the picks and brought one in immediately. Um, I think I, I feel like 26 is a little bit too high for most of the um, draft and stash candidates in this class, but um, like uh, Servitus, I, I I like him a lot. I think he could be a useful rotation piece down the road and fits some of the Cavs' needs. So um, he would be an interesting target in a trade-down scenario. But at 26, I think there probably will be some better options on the board. It depends how the draft plays out, of course. But um, I would probably be more inclined to draft one of the players we talked about rather than trying to stash someone when there are so many immediate needs on the roster.
1: Yeah, I, I agree there. Um, so last question before we get out of here, uh, just because I think that it's worth talking about. We talk about kind of the smart moves that the Cavs can make tonight. Um, we might as well consider the idea that they're going to go back to their roots and do something really chaotic. Um, what is your nightmare scenario for for both of these two picks? Like, what is what is the worst possible combination they could walk out of the draft with? Oh, man. I...
0: I try not to think about these things, but...
1: (laughs) (laughs) The possibility is there.
0: Oh, it is. Uh, Probably something along the lines of, like, if they just go out in left field and decide that they fall in love with Monsieur Little in an interview and grab him at five like they did with Deion Waiters, who was projected, like, 13 or something, and then like a Kesieck Pala at twenty six or something like that. Um, Cam Reddish would also be pretty close to a nightmare scenario for me, but I, I at least think he can do some useful things at an NBA level. Even if I think he's overrated, Nasir Little, I just I'm I'm not even sure he's an NBA player.
1: Yeah, I I did not expect you to pick very close to my exact uh, my exact nightmare. Um, yeah, I I watched Akpala a couple of games last night, and you want to talk about a guy that is his best NBA skill might be being six nine. Um, <laughs> I do not understand the hype with him at all. Um, has been kind of talked about as a first rounder for basically the entire year, and I I think that that is just. That would be that would be really bad, I think, because not only are you getting two guys who are going to need significant development just to get to the playable point, you're also picking two guys who probably are be- going to be best at the same position and in the same role. Um, so that's that's concerning as well. Um, so hopefully the Cavs don't do that. Hopefully they are you know weaning more towards kind of the better options. We'll see what they end up taking in terms of workouts over the next couple of weeks, what guys they bring in, and kind of what that looks like, and also what opportunities present themselves in terms of trades and whatnot. That's always the wild card here. Um, but Eustachio, thanks for coming on. Um, it's been great great to have you. You can find him at Red Team Scouting um, for his work, both in the verbal and written forms. Um, you can find him on Twitter at evr1022 um you can find me on twitter at illegal screens and my writing at the setback and fear the sword um thanks for coming on it was great to have you and um thanks for sharing your insight in terms in the philosophy of what we could look for um coming in draft night thanks so much for having me trevor it was a lot of fun So uh, keep an eye on the podcast feed, iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you find your podcasts. Um, We'll be doing more breakdowns as we get closer and closer to the draft. Um, We'll try to hammer out um, some more of those options at the 26th pick um, coming in because we haven't really talked about a lot of those guys in detail. So look for that, and we will be back with you next week.